This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello and welcome to Total Saints Pod episode 14. My name's Ben Stanfield, at Ben Stanners from Twitter. As ever, I'm joined by Adam Leach from the Daily Echo. Adam, another international break out of the way and straight back to earth with a bang. Well, absolutely, yeah. Yeah, I was getting used to these uh, weekends off, one weekend off a month. That's very nice. I enjoy that. I could get used to that. But uh, yeah, now it's going to be a really busy time and, and a long day yesterday and a somewhat fruitless day for Saints as well and a, a bit of a depressing day all in all, which was a bit of a sad way to start it all off but uh there you go that's just the way it goes sometimes you, you were saying just before we came on air it was what a 6 30 a.m start and 11 30 p.m finish so uh, a long old day like many of the fans yeah yeah certainly it was uh it was certainly a long old day there's uh, no doubt about that um yeah it's a long way liverpool and fair play to the supporters who go up there as well i mean it's uh, at least uh, for me it's obviously a, a job is what i do for a living um and so at least I could think when it's a long day and I'm getting in at half eleven that that, that's, that I'm getting paid for it. Uh, but that said, uh, positives we did have. Uh, Dave Merrington came back with us yesterday, and so we did have plenty of entertainment in the car on the way home. It was a bit more lively than normal. And Dave was uh, not only did we dissect everything Saints related, but was treating us to a few stories of uh, football years past and things like that. So it was much more entertaining on the A34 than usual. So that was good. <laughs> No, good to hear. So excellent. Well, obviously, um, during the international break, we didn't do a podcast, but thanks to everyone for providing feedback. We did ask for some feedback on how Adam and I can continue to improve these podcasts so that whenever and wherever you're listening to them, it's uh, of interest. We've uh, been able to tell from the podcast that we did with Glenn that we've had uh, um, play-ins from Panama and Singapore and New Zealand and Brazil and Sweden and Argentina and all over the place the last couple of weeks. So, it, it, you know, wherever you are listening to it, it is very much um, appreciated and we hope that uh, it's a good listen for you so in this podcast we're going to look back at the Liverpool game we're going to have a chat about the manager's current position we're going to look at um, the board and club transparency which is obviously a big issue at the moment and then we're going to wrap up the podcast by looking ahead to the Everton game so without further ado we're going to crack on tonight with the Total Saints podcast episode 14. Adam, where to start then? The lineup, I guess, is probably a good start. When the, when the team sheet came out yesterday, I'd uh, joined the Anfield Wrap last week and spoke to them, and I thought the only change would possibly be Ward Prowse in for Buffel. So it was a bit more attacking than I maybe thought. But what was your initial thoughts when the lineup came out? Well, uh, obviously, I was going to be always going to be interested to see who won the Saints central defender Tombola uh, playing playing alongside Virgil Van Dijk for the day. And it was uh, it was Wesley this time, so yeah, his number came up this week, so he was in. Um, I still don't, you know, joking aside, I'm obviously being a bit uh, facetious there, but I don't, uh, still don't entirely understand why the centre halves are chopping and changing so much. But it wasn't unexpected that they were going to after the after recent weeks, obviously. Long for Gabbiadini, yeah, okay, that's kind of a bit like for like at the moment, isn't it? They're both fairly similar strikers and obviously both struggling for goals a bit. So that, that's just that's just kind of almost what it is. 
And then, yeah, the the, the front three, I suppose, but behind uh, Long, uh, it was attacking. I mean, you've got to say it was pretty attacking. There was a, I thought there was an argument he he might have made for for playing Ward Prowse because he obviously gives you a bit more defensively for maybe even playing Long wide right just because he gives you a lot more uh, a lot more legs as well. But but Pellegrino stuck out uh, well. Really, let's be honest, a fairly attacking side. What what did you make of um, Van Dijk's performance? Obviously, there's a lot made of him coming up for the game in Anfield and the media watching all of the shenanigans that we had in the summer and we probably will have again in a, a few weeks' time. What did you make of his performance specifically? Let's be completely honest about this. He's not he's not come back the player that he was when he went away. Now, that's probably to be expected. Um, obviously, a lot of people are blaming that on, on his... His mindset, his mental state—it's very hard to say from a distance. I think that's a very easy assumption to make that he, you know, almost he wanted to leave and therefore he can't be bothered. Actually, maybe the, we don't know. There might be more to it than that. The, the I always said when we were talking about this um, towards the end of the transfer window, the one thing is you can't be certain exactly when, if or when you're going to get the old Virgil Van Dijk back. The guy was out since January. It's a long, long time not to play and he had a very serious injury as well as obviously the enforced uh the self as I say self-enforced layoff um that followed uh, the the recovery from the injury so it was always going to take at best take time for him to settle uh, and at worst you don't know exactly how good he was he was actually going to be again and and he's not come back as as strongly uh, obviously the second goal you couldn't have imagined him really uh, couldn't really imagine him being out of position like that if you'd have wound the clock back a year ago when he was he was playing so fantastically. So yeah, I mean he he's he's definitely uh, he's still obviously a good player. I don't think anybody would would doubt that. But he's he's definitely not at the level that that he once was, and and quite why that is, I don't know. Like we from from a distance we can only speculate. We don't uh, see his. Uh, fitness stats or anything like that, obviously. So uh, you, we don't know exactly what kind of shape he he is in at the moment, or whether it's just a bit of rustiness and uh, and things like that. Especially uh, against a team like Liverpool, when when obviously you're marking some absolute world class attacking talent. But I think it is fair to say that that it's not the same Van Dyke that went away. Do, do you think the the more that this happens, obviously we don't know exactly what's going to happen in January, but. Do you think this might make Saints start to think if he's not performing as well as he could be, will he ever be the player he was again? And should we think about cashing him? Bearing in mind there seems to be other positions in the team that evidently need some investment. I mean, it's it's a school of thought. It's obviously going to be a debate. Uh, well, there's no doubt about that. Um, I think the the difficulty is is what is is what is your motivation for selling him? If your motivation for selling him is kind of that you have that feeling of, oh, the guy's not giving enough. Um, it's just, you know, it's just, it's no good. We need somebody giving more. Well, I kind of almost feel that if that's what what they believe, then then what was the point of holding on to him in the summer? It's sort of, that it's disrupted them so much, I think, having Virgil, the whole Virgil situation, both the transfer window and uh, obviously coming back into the team and the disruption of the centre-halves, which sort of, Sort of somewhat flippantly joked about the uh, you know the the rotation of of centre halves as a play alongside Virgil, but obviously Virgil is the one that plays every week, and the other guys who you might feel uh you know haven't done the same thing as Virgil has done towards the club are actually the ones that are suffering really because they're the ones that are that are getting rotated every week and not him. Um, so really, if you then go okay, we're going to sell him in January, what was the point of? Going through all that and all this, all this nonsense and all this pain, just to, uh, just to then kind of give in. If what you're saying, and I assume if they sell him, this is, this would be more how it would be uh, sold um, to the fans. Would be, uh, well, there's a good offer for him. We've decided now we actually need to use the money to strengthen other areas. And I guess people would probably, probably just about buy that because. There's not a lot of doubt that there are other areas that need strengthening. And if obviously all that money was reinvested and maybe a bit more to bring in two or three top quality signings, as difficult as that is in January, and accepting the fact that they almost certainly would need the Van Dyke money because to get in the quality that they would probably require, they are going to have to do something. They, they, they like to say that they will never do. They are going to have to pay way over the odds to get 
players of that quality. Well, they're probably going to need the money uh, from Van Dijk. They aren't, they aren't going to be getting a bargain in January. They'll either be getting somebody who's a gamble or they'll be paying over the odds for somebody who they know is going to be good enough. So maybe they need the money and maybe in that case that they could they could find a justification that people would swallow. You mentioned the goals there, obviously the second goal. Liverpool were worthy winners, I don't think anyone can doubt that. The the, the first goal, obviously, Talic gave the ball away. The, the second goal, he had defenders moving up to try and play offside. He had defenders dropping back with Salah and Skem. The third goal was obviously quite scrappy as well. I mean, in terms of the goals, again, you know, Liverpool, as I say, were, were completely dominant and obviously deserved to win. But all, all three of the goals were quite disappointing to give away from the sort of defensive point of view. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they were, but then... I guess what I would say is that pressure tells, doesn't it? And in football, mm. uh, well, I guess in, in any sport or in life in general, we all know the more pressure you come under, uh, the more likely it is that you're going to make some kind of an error. And really, yes, though you could turn around and, and pinpoint some mistakes, it, it, would, it wasn't as if those were the only three chances that Liverpool had in the game. It wasn't as if uh, Saints just made three errors and Liverpool capitalised. The errors came as a result of the fact that Liverpool were continually, uh, you know, in the build-up to those goals, putting more and more and more pressure on Saints. And eventually, under that pressure, they told a little bit and, and there were some errors. I feel a bit sorry for um, Fraser Forster picking up so much blame, it seems, for the third goal. I actually think that's quite harsh on him because, yeah, OK, he did he did deflect the ball. He did go back to Coutinho. But actually, I think it's it was one of those situations where were we not... Uh, having Forster under some kind of a microscope at the moment, we would have probably have given him the benefit of the doubt and said, well, look, he made the save and it was an important save. And then who was picking up Coutinho? How did he even get to the point that that shot had come in in the first place? And he did stand pretty strong and he did did, did block it. But yeah, I mean, there were some pretty uh, bad errors and I'm sure Pellegrino will be frustrated. And obviously the most crucial two are always going to be the first two because uh, they're the two really that have cost you the game what, what did you make of the attitude of the players Adam because I think as a fan watching the game it kind of seemed when the second goal went in just before half time that the, the, the players almost gave up and, and the attitude question is something that's been around for a few weeks at the moment I mean obviously I appreciate you are a neutral but I appreciate you have a relationship with the club as well but looking at it from a neutral point of view I mean w- was it quite disappointing to see the way the, the the sort of team almost did give up second half and never really looked like getting back in the game they obviously started the game fairly brightly um they they certainly they, they surprised me by by actually how high they they pressed liverpool i mean it was i was quite surprised that they were prepared to do that obviously they were uh prepared to get back and, and defend in numbers as well but they were also prepared to try and put the pressure on their defense perhaps perhaps uh correctly having realized that the probably the defensive area and certainly the centre-half, so probably the weakest part of Liverpool's team. So the more pressure you put on them, uh, the greater the chance you might you might squeeze an error out of them uh, and you might disrupt their play because obviously they like to come, come out from the back. But yes, once the second goal went in, I think that was probably the worst part of the day and the most worrying part of the day, really. That I think the kindest way I can put this, really, is, is that they looked resigned to their fate. They, they looked like they thought that they had no chance of getting back into it. There was no way they could. The game was over. Now, to be honest, that's probably what everybody in Anfield thought. But you would hope that the team would would think differently, or at least they would give it a really good go to, to do something about it. Because 2-0 uh, against anybody, yes, OK, OK, away at Liverpool, they're struggling. But it's not all over. You You know what football's like. It's a weird game. If you get one goal... And suddenly it's 2-1, the home side yep. get a bit nervy, you suddenly get a bit of belief, a bit of momentum. Yep. You never really quite know what's going to happen. Uh, that You've got a chance, but you've got no chance if you've all but thrown in the towel at 2-0. And unfortunately, I think the Saints, the Saints players are collectively, I'm not saying this applied to every single one of them, because uh, that would be harsh, but I also don't want to single out uh, players for blame either. Uh, but collectively... As a as a team on the whole, just just looked like they felt that they lost and 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 that was it really. And it was a very very somber mood afterwards, being around the manager, uh, around the players. A colleague was was around the players trying to speak to some of them. Yeah, very uh, very low 
atmosphere. You know, obviously they're always down when they lose. You expect that, but 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 much more so than normal. And I, and I think because uh, there was a realization that that they kind of had they had allowed it to go too too easily. They had let it slip too easily. Uh, I asked Pellegrino a number of questions about it after the uh, during the press conference yesterday after the game, um, and he more or less admitted. That, that that was the case and that was his sense of it and uh, while most players didn't want to stop and speak to the press credit to Cedric Suarez on a very difficult day because he did have the guts to put his head above the parapet and to uh, and to speak out and and he was very very honest I thought uh, his comments are very honest and, and he pretty much uh, said as much as well he was clearly angry and frustrated by what had happened and, and at least there was a realisation that that had happened and, and if there is a positive to come out of yesterday, uh, out of the Liverpool game, and and to be honest, you're scrabbling to find one because it was a very very bad day. But if you're if there is one, maybe just maybe it's that anybody, any players or the squad collectively, if they thought that they could kind of just turn up and 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 do the bare minimum, as it were almost go through the motions to a degree, try but not overexert themselves, uh, and, and that that would just be enough to be mid-table and it would all be fine and the, there we go, no need to do any more than that. I, I would like to think now, given that was a very humbling defeat yesterday, I think if you were a professional, you would feel humbled by the fact that you were so comprehensively beaten. Then I, I think that... The, there is a chance that maybe this might just be, if any of them were thinking that, if there was any complacency in there, this might just be the wake-up call they need to realise, actually, you know what, we do need to give it a bit more than this. Or as individuals, they can look at themselves in the mirror and say, have I done everything I should have done? Am I trying as hard as I can or as I should do? And hopefully that will be that will be just to kick up the uh, backside that they require, Hopefully. We're going to go on to talk about the manager in a minute and his his sort of future, and I'm keen to get your your view on that. Um, there was something that annoyed me slightly as a fan yesterday. Maybe I'm overreacting about this. I don't know, but um, I was um, sat by my my phone uh, while I was um, waiting for the team news to come in, and uh, I saw a, a tweet flash up from Charlie Austin. I looked at the the the, the time, and it was 1:45, and it was uh, I think it was a retweet that he'd done from Utoxa to Races or something like that. Obviously, we know that Charlie's into his horse racing and such like, but. I, I guess as a fan, thinking about the sort of current run we're going through, thinking about player attitudes, 1.45 is an hour and a quarter before the, the, the kick-off. You're assuming the players are obviously uh, at Anfield by then and getting ready to, to sort of warm up. For me as a fan, Adam, I, I sort of think about Pellegrino and, and dealing with these attitudes and these egos within the club because, manager aside, thinking about the players here, surely if you're somewhere like Anfield an hour and a quarter before the game you're starting to get into game mode so to speak you're starting to get your head around the game starting to focus on that and I guess it kind of sums up you know I know mobile phones and social media are obviously the the way of the world these days but to me as a fan it was kind of disappointing almost to sort of think right someone's clearly sat in the changing room and all they're thinking about is looking through their Twitter and retweeting things and not actually thinking about the job they've got to do whether they are starting the game or not. I can't comment on on that. I, I haven't actually. I didn't see the the tweet or retweet yesterday. Actually, I had um, my head buried in the computer working away myself, so I wasn't really uh, paying that much attention to Twitter or anything like that. So I can't really comment on what did or didn't happen with that. But I mean, yeah, I would say that probably the general consensus is that the cutoff for things like that should probably be kind of when you get into the ground, really. Uh, then that's once you're off the coach and, you, and you're in, then that's that's about the time that you would think mentally you'd be um, switching on. Obviously, I, I appreciate that Charlie probably knew by that stage that he wasn't um, wasn't going to be in the team, so maybe it's a tiny bit different. But I think there's probably a more general uh, issue to do with that, and, and every manager is different. Some of them uh, are very much they want to rule and be like almost the headmaster and tell players what they can and can't do. And others want to say, well, look, you're grown adults, you're grown men. I, I respect that uh, you, know, you can be professional and you can uh, decide what you what, what is and isn't appropriate behaviour for you. Yeah, I mean, I don't mean to lessen it because it, I don't think it's a... But I don't think it's a, it's a terrible um, offence either. But, but 
you know, I can understand the theory that maybe it, it points to a bigger problem with discipline. But I actually think Ronald Koeman hit the nail on the head with this when he was saying to manager and spoke about it and said that his main concern with it was, uh, with things like that, was actually when the players, uh, they finish training sometimes or they're going home or they're coming into training or they're, they're on the coach or they're wandering around the pitch or they're in the dressing room, rather than talking to each other now, they've all got their headphones in. We see it all the time, don't we, when the players get off the court. So they've all got a big, uh, they've got a pair of earphones in or they've got the big headphones on or something like that. Um, they're, they're quite a lot of them are buried in their phones and actually that's probably a wider problem with squads in general and whether they're as close to each other, whether there's that communication and bonding there that there has been in the past. Before we speak about Pellegrino then, I ran a, or, or we ran a poll on our Total Saints podcast Twitter feed back in uh, 24th of September it was, Adam. Um, and at that time, with all due respect, I know you chuckled when I said that 1% had uh, uh, voted for bottom three. At that time, 76% of people felt that we would finish 8th to 12th. Um, I ran the poll again today. I was interested to get people's perceptions bearing in mind everything that's happened since then so effectively two months later we're, we're now showing roughly the same number of people voted about 57 percent of them saying that we'd finished 13th to 17th and then 32 percent so a third of the voters now thinking that we'll finish in the bottom three um i guess the the, the two sort of immediate questions that spring to mind about pellegrino are you confident that he is the manager he seems like quite a nice guy so are you confident that he is the manager that can really kick these players up the backside almost get the right attitude out of them so that they understand what they need to do to to fight for the shirt and such like and second question is bearing in mind the pressure is building the fan base is really starting to I think you know probably 90-95% of the fan base seem to be against him as manager now and wanting him to leave how, how realistic is it or, or, or opposite that you think his job is really at risk at the moment um, it's a difficult question obviously it's very hard to to second guess it, and I, 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 I'm not, I haven't been, uh, I can honestly say I haven't been privy to any conversation since the Liverpool game with anybody uh, in a position of uh, authority to make those decisions as Saints, so I can't, it's very hard, for, I, I'm, I'm only second guessing. But what I would say from Saints' point of view is obviously there's going to be a very difficult balance if you want to talk about this decision, if indeed they even... Uh, even in a mood to even begin to contemplate it because the reason that they would not want to do it more than anything of course is that the people sacking him will be the people who appointed him and they only appointed him a few uh, a few months ago really what 12 Premier League games ago and they appointed him having sacked somebody in May do you really want to have the questions asked of you if you were the hirer and firer of what you are doing or what you're up to if you've got yourself in such a pickle that you've had to sack two managers that you appointed in the space of six months. And for that reason alone, I think it would be a brave decision to, to take if you were the one making that, because obviously you are really inferring that, that you've really, you've had a pretty bad year or two, really. You've not done a, you've not done your job as perhaps as, as well as you would have hoped you did. And for that reason, partly for that reason and partly also because uh, I, I think that Saints are still want to be a club that are, are not seen as knee-jerk, they're not seen as reactionary, they're not seen as just simply giving in to, uh, to demands from other people, that, that they'll want to give it a chance to work. And I think they'll also rationally look at it and say, well, he's not really had that much time. Yes, he's not gone as well as we'd hoped, but he's not had that much time. We've got a very, very difficult run of fixtures and we've got no chance to improve the squad. Uh, and I think many people feel that actually, yes, all right, some people might like a different manager, but I think the majority of people seem to be at the conclusion that actually they need some serious work doing to the squad. We can't do that till January anyway. And you've got these really difficult fixtures, a lot of which might well be lost anyway, you suspect, regardless of who's in charge. Even if you put Guardiola in charge, it's going to be very hard for him to take the Saints squad and get that many points out of quite a lot of these games they've got coming up. So maybe they're better off to allow Pellegrino the chance to either prove himself or get to the point where, where you just get to the conclusion that it's not going to happen because you can't change the squad until uh, January anyway. And I think all those things combined, I would guess, would weigh on the side of, of him staying 
in charge and and uh, being given longer to to prove himself. I guess the flip side of that, the the reason that uh, if there were to be a, a a change of heart, it would be obviously if things really slide out of control. I mean, if if they lost a uh, home to Everton, they got a spanking at Man City, and then they went turned up at Bournemouth and got beaten, and things were looking really grim. Then I guess that there might be a feeling that they they would have to act. But again, I think it would be it would have to be at that point where it was going really badly. And for the people who, who you know, Les and the board who obviously appointed him uh, would probably have to get to the point where they couldn't, they almost couldn't resist the the ire of the fans any longer. And they kind of just had to do it whether they felt it was the right thing to do or not. Because, I, I mean, I don't know, but I, I find it hard to believe that, that Les and, and Ralph and co would have thought eighth uh, in the Premier League in a League Cup final even with some boring football, was a was an unacceptable first season for Claude. And yes, we all felt there were things that needed to be improved, but you kind of thought that that they might sit down at the end of the season and sort of say to Claude, well, look, some things have got to change. Happy, you know, you've got some good results. So yeah, that's OK, but some things have got to change here. You can't, you've got to pep this up a bit. You can't keep playing in this way. Um, but obviously the crowd had gone to such an extent that I'm guessing they probably felt they had to they had to effectively deliver Claude's head on a plate to to kind of try and satisfy people. So I guess if it if it goes completely the other way, then then maybe they're full backed into a corner and like they almost don't have a choice. But the problem, of course, they've got if they do that is then what do they do? Do they go down the route of a of a third manager in a very similar style, which is clearly what they want because they've appointed two managers in the same style? which are a bit of a reaction to, to Ronald, who is very different, or do they go for a much more authoritarian manager, a much more, uh, I would almost say, powerful type of manager from top to bottom of the club, in which case they're going back to somebody who's more like Ronald again, which, judging by their last two appointments, isn't exactly what they want. So it's a, there's an awful lot of things in play here. I think there's an awful lot to weigh up. I'm, I, like I said, at this point in time, as we speak, I can't, I can't tell you any more. I can't reveal anything or, or, or anything like that as to what's going on. But all, all I'm doing is just trying to take a, a logical look at the at the pluses and minuses and trying to put myself in the position of those people and how they how they might be thinking uh, and try and work out the most likely route that they'll take. And, and that's that's the best. I think those are the. I think unless I'm missing anything, those are probably most of the big questions that are in play for those people. I think um, as a fan, when you look at it, you sort of see Pellegrino and you think, as I said earlier, he, he seems like a nice guy and I don't have a problem with him as a person the same as I did with Claude. But you kind of feel that you want almost a strong manager now. If we are heading towards a relegation battle, fingers crossed we're not, but you know, I think it's naive to, to think otherwise, then you want players that are up for the fight, that know what they're doing. And I guess you, you know that you look at the coaching staff, people like Eric Black, he's he's supposed to be this popular guy within the cab. Is that just because he gives them an easy time and he sits on his backside when they're, they're at a game and all those sorts of things? Look, I, I don't know the answers, but I guess... I'm not saying Sam Allardyce is ever a manager I necessarily want to would would want to sit and watch a team managed by him. But you think about him on the the the, the touchline and how aggressive he would almost be to to players that aren't putting the effort in. And I guess when you look at Pellegrino and that sort of more laid back approach, just some of the way he talks, you almost sort of wonder: is he trying to protect the players by saying that they're they're doing better than they really are? They're taking that almost as uh, well. We're doing okay. He thinks we're doing okay. Or actually, should he be a bit more forthright in his approach to them? Pellegrino obviously has to lead the way for him and all his coaching staff and the way they approach it. And I don't think that there's a right or a wrong way to do it necessarily. I think every manager has to have their own style. I mean, when I look at the Saints managers that that I've sort of worked alongside, if you like, down the years, um, there's been the varying degrees of success with, but with very, very, very different methods. I mean, they're all one thing you learn quickly in my job is that every one of these managers is an individual and you need to respect that and they have their own thoughts and their own philosophies and if we look at uh, just take a couple of the more successful managers of recent times now would you compare the management style of Gordon Strachan and Nigel Adkins well I mean you can find two more different people two more different individuals really than those two and yet they were both very very successful 
uh, as Southampton managers. Now, that suggests to me there isn't a right or a wrong way to do it. There's only your own way to do it. And um, yes, I guess there's an argument that maybe you might need to adapt your your ways when you walk into a new job and a new squad and, and you have to sort of sense what they need from you. But I think, I, I, I mean, I wrote a comment piece uh, a week or so ago just saying, Pellegrino, I feel he needs to be his own man. He needs to do this on his own terms. Uh, I don't know whether he is or isn't doing that at the moment. I don't know whether this is all, yeah, this is what we're seeing now is the complete Pellegrino package or whether all this talk of when he, when he's been speaking is sort of this gentle evolution, not wanting to change too much, you know, not, not wanting to confuse the players to take it very, very slowly baby steps, the fact that he keeps saying, you know, it's working, it's coming, it's coming. Um, despite the fact that people don't believe that and are getting increasingly frustrated with hearing him say it, he, he that, that might be true. He might genuinely feel that that's the way to go and, and really believe that. But if he's got any doubts, if he thinks actually maybe I should, I should try something a bit different, maybe I should really back myself, I really want to do this three at the back, for example, or, or something else, I don't know what, then... Um, he should go for it. He should be bold. He should, he, at least if he's if he's going to go down, if he's going to have problems here, if he's going to end up uh, end up fighting for his job, at least do it on your own terms. At least do it. Uh, don't have any regrets about it. So I just hope that from his point of view, he he is at least being true to himself and being uh, doing what you know everything that he thinks is the best without fear of well, if I do this and it goes really badly wrong, then what? Um, because it's not going that well at the moment. So I don't really see he's got anything to lose. Maybe this is it. Maybe maybe this is it, though. Maybe this is just, maybe not results, but in terms of uh, this is this is his plan that we're seeing now. But if it is, I think this is a dangerous way to go because they're going to have to make a lot of progress very quickly or I think he's he's going he's gonna to risk losing uh, the patience of those that still have patience with him. You, you mentioned earlier the squad balance, and I guess... When you look at the Virgil situation, just going back to that, you sort of think of Jose Fonte last year and the same sort of scenario. He wanted away in the summer. Um, it sort of, you know, he didn't get his move. He was disappointed. It kind of dragged him to the change room and then they felt obliged to sort of sell him in um, January. Obviously, as, you, as you've mentioned numerous times before, he was someone that was a, a real leader and someone that sort of stood up and acted on behalf of the, the team and was able to sort of get a message across both from the manager to the, the, the players and vice versa. Do you, do you kind of feel that maybe Pellegrino is, is lacking one or two leaders? I, I think it seems pretty obvious, certainly on the pitch, but maybe in the changing room as well. I don't think really that the Saints have replaced Jose as, as, as a person. Um, very difficult to do. Obviously, it's born out of being there many, many years and being the kind of personality he was. And I think that, um, yeah, I mean, the, the thing with the Jose situation, the way it differs from Virgil was, of course, that Virgil's not got a problem with his Saints contract. Virgil's got a problem that he wants to go and play for somebody else. As whereas Jose had a problem with his contract. He obviously came back after the Euros. They did offer him a pay rise. He wanted uh, an extra. He wanted the pay rise, I assume, but also extra a year on his contract. He felt not only from the Euros thing, not only because other players were getting extended contracts, but because of his loyalty to the club and the amount that he'd given, that he he uh, deserved that. The club disagreed um, clearly because they didn't offer it to him. They, I think, looked at it in a very much um, almost more as you look at something on a spreadsheet. Uh, in the uh, he was a player whose best days maybe were behind him, um, who perhaps was a bit of a fade, beginning to become a bit of a fading force um, from from the the heights that he he was once at. Um, and if he wasn't at that point, they sort of sensed that at his age that you know maybe they wouldn't get full value out of that last year that he was asking for to go on the end of his contract. And they could get decent money for him at the at the time. So actually, uh, from their point of view, it was a sensible uh, business decision. But the thing about football is that football doesn't always work like any normal business. And you, you always have to remember that when you're dealing with it. Um, it's not always very logical. Things don't always make uh, great sense. And actually, there is a dynamic at play there. And Jose... 
was a fantastic leader. He was a leader of men. He was the leader of that dressing room. He he was the man in that dressing room, uh, on and off the pitch. He was absolutely the one player who had total respect from his teammates. And if he said it, it happened. Basically, it was as simple as that. He was just he was he was the absolute uh, front front man for that squad in every way. He was the one who spoke out. Uh, internally and externally with the media when the, when it was required after a defeat like yesterday you wouldn't have had the uh, a lot of players uh, might have said no we wouldn't speak Jose would Jose would front up he'd say no I'm the captain lads I'll do this you know in difficult circumstances he, he that was just Jose that was just the 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 type of character that he was and losing him uh was was probably less of a blow in terms of Jose the player that they were losing over the period of, of what would have remained of his contract, but a much bigger problem in terms of you really upset him. He was really upset, as we all know, when he didn't get the contract. And then he had a period of time when he was upset and moping around and he wasn't that positive leader uh, for the club in the same way that he, he was before he you know the club upset him. And then when he went, he was gone altogether. And, and obviously there was a big void that had been left and in terms of leadership saints have got people who lead by example i would say and they've got uh some good people in there as well but have they got anybody who's just got all those elements that jose had the big larger than life character leader i think they're still searching for it and i think that's one thing that in amongst all the jose and the and i sense sometimes the slight sneering uh, from Saints fans, oh, look at him at West Ham. Or oh, you know, actually, you know what? Even if he wasn't playing, he'd have been a valuable person to have had still at Saints. And you do wonder whether, yeah, when we're talking about some of these things, whether all these problems would have transpired had he have still been there. It's all hindsight. It's all crystal ball stuff because we'll never know. Um, and it might, it might be that it would be exactly the same now. It might even be worse somehow. Who knows? But. Um, but from my point of view, when you're asking me about a character, he was a huge character, a huge leader. And I, I would agree that it, it doesn't feel as much like they've got that leadership anymore. Maybe also not helped by the fact that the captaincy issue is is still a bit of a mystery. I don't think anybody really knows who is the captain anymore. We know it's not Virgil, we think, because he doesn't seem to be captain seems to be Steve Davis most of the time he plays, but obviously the official answer is it's one of a group of players, which, uh, again, it doesn't suggest that you've kind of got a leader who's who's uh, an important figurehead, and as much as it doesn't seem like that should matter to somebody who doesn't know anything about football, I guess everybody who's played the game knows that those big characters in your team, those big leaders, they having them there counts for a lot, and there are other people whose just characteristics aren't like that. And so you need that balance in any squad and any team. Moving on from the manager then, Adam, obviously the board is starting to take quite a lot of criticism as well. In 2014, Ralph Kruger um, told Southampton in inverted customers, as he called them, that the board would be very open and transparent. Adam Blackmore, Radio Solent, tweeted earlier today in response to someone that had uh, asked him about asking suitable questions of the hierarchy and such like to say that Three weeks or so ago, he'd asked to interview Les Reed and had been refused. I appreciate you can't answer on behalf of Adam, and I'm not going to specifically ask you about you because I think it's unfair to ask whether the Daily Echo have approached Saints or not. But in terms of the club and open communication and transparency that they promised, they obviously did a fans forum a couple of years ago. I think it was 2015 when things were going very well under Cumin and uh, Les sat up there next to him and told a very good story, which I think at the time everyone was very interested in. But now we're maybe going through a bit more of a rockier period. It's all gone very quiet. And I guess as a fan, it's quite alarming to sort of think that the hierarchy may be burying their head in the sand a little bit. So in terms of open communication and transparency that they promised, are you surprised by the way that the, the, the club's board are acting at the moment in terms of not wanting to be transparent? Uh, I guess the first thing to say is, as a journalist um, covering Southampton Football Club, I would happily speak to Ralph or Les or somebody like that every couple of weeks. Uh, it'd be great for me. <laughs> There'd be a, a, a very rich variety of stories and, and football being football and the narrative as it is, there's never a shortage of things to ask them. I don't think I'd ever be sat there scratching my head if I spoke to them every couple of weeks. 
Um, so I'd love to, and uh, kind of, I guess for uh, I don't want to speak for the other Adam, but for myself as well, being the local press, the the club know that obviously we would like to speak to these people. We'd like to speak to anybody really involved with the club as often as we possibly can. There's an open invitation there at all times that we'd like to speak to them. Um, that kind of goes without saying, really. In terms of um, uh, then the club's point of view, I do also understand the other side of, of the game as well and their point of view. And whilst I do think that Les and Ralph probably should be doing a bit more than they currently do or they have done uh, at important times, I also do understand that the timing is important. I think it's very easy for people to say... Um, well, why, why isn't he speaking? He needs to speak now and, and just sort of making demands of these people to come out. We're, we're the fans. We pay the money. We pay their wages. We want them to speak. Then I think it's easy to do that. But if you're on the other side of that equation, if you're the one who's uh, got to come out and speak, you also need to think about your responsibilities and what, what you can say uh, if you're going to talk honestly and how that impacts other people. And when it, um, when it comes to Les Reed. But maybe there was a chance for him to front up, perhaps during the international breaks. Okay, I can accept that argument. I certainly think that that there was an argument in the summer uh, once um, uh, Claude had gone and once Maurizio had been appointed for for Les to front up and do some do some more press and actually explain uh, what was going on. But I'm assuming they were put off by the Virgil situation and not wanting to get into that because obviously they know if they'd have invited me or Adam or any other journalist in, we would have obviously been asking difficult questions about that that they might not have wanted to have to answer at that point in time. Um, we'd have been asking difficult questions about exactly why they sacked Claude and things like that that they might not have really wanted to have had to answer. But then I think in football, there's rarely a good time. There's only a good time to do it if, if you're just doing amazing things all the time. Otherwise, there's never an easy time. And now, I would say, is quite a bad time. Um... I, I would say I would understand now if the club don't and Les doesn't want to do anything now the club are going into a very very busy run of fixtures here there's a lot of games coming up in a very short space of time the focus of the club needs to be on the best preparation and getting results it needs to be on the focus needs to be on the manager and the players not Les coming out and now obviously the situation now is that he would obviously be asked if, if we spoke to him next week the same sort of things that you're asking me. What is the future for Maurizio? Does he have your support? At what point would you consider getting rid of him? That's not a helpful. Those are not helpful headlines to have, no matter what the answers to those questions. It's not helpful headlines to have for Maurizio and the players in the middle of a busy run of games. So the club have to absolutely, if they're going to do those things, they have to time that right. And I think that perhaps occasionally that is overlooked by by supporters that actually that is actually quite important i i whilst i do think uh, they should do more uh, i do also think that there is a limit as to what they should do and they have to go careful when they do it and now doesn't seem like a massively uh, opportunities might have been missed recently but now doesn't seem like a massively opportune moment for les to come out he'd probably be better off waiting uh, until January, when this run of fixtures is over, and doing stuff then, when we're in that transfer window as well, to be honest. Yeah. And, what, now, and what about and what about the new owner as well, Adam? Because I, I guess you think you know you think of the strategy. We had this five-year plan that obviously went really, really well with Cortesi and Reed and good, good people that were at the club, like Gareth Rogers and such. Like, and you look at the last three seasons, the Southampton way, whatever that is, seems to have disappeared. Promoting young players, as we discussed with Glenn the other week, seems to have disappeared. We've had three managers in that time, so. As a fan, and you sort of think of, of Lieber handing over the, the baton to this partnership, which, you know, an 80-20 to me isn't a partnership, but we've not really heard anything from the new owner about what the strategy is, what the future is. And I guess you sort of look at the club at the moment in this tailspin, and you think, well, where are we going? What are we trying to do? And uh, and I guess it's not just Les Reed and Ralph Kruger. To be fair, it's, it's up to the new owner as well, surely, to, to work with these guys to come out with some form of positive message on what they want to achieve over the next one, three, five, ten years. Yeah, I think um, I think that would be uh, what I would go on to say. Obviously, I haven't talked about Les Reed. I think with Ralph, it's, it's slightly different, though he obviously still needs to time his interviews, and though obviously he would still be asked about football, he obviously can always play the card that Les 
can't that it's not really down to me you need to speak to les about the football stuff and i'll talk about the other stuff i do think that there's a very very strong argument for that the ralph needs to do some more and needs to be sued or uh mr gal preferably um obviously could we could do with hearing from him because no matter what you think about uh les and and the all the ins and outs and the intricacies of the football as we follow it in terms of Oh, what's Maurizio's future? What about this player? What about that player? What about buying a new centre forward? What about selling a centre half? Oh, these are all these are all important, and this is all, all what we talk about. This is what makes the football world go round. But in a way, this is you know, minutiae, small details of of what is going on on a day to day basis. Um, but the bigger picture and the absolutely vital picture is, of course, the club as a whole. And somebody has bought the club or bought most of the club for two hundred million pounds. You couldn't get a bigger thing happen to the club. It's not like, yeah. you know, forget Virgil's future, forget the manager. This is this is absolutely crucial, and we know absolutely nothing really mm. about uh, Mr. Gal. Uh, we know nothing about his intentions for the club. We know virtually nothing about the financing uh, of how he's bought the club. We know nothing about his uh, investment plans or otherwise going forward. We don't really know what. Katarina Liebherr plans to do with her 20% of the club. Uh, we know nothing. And and uh, there are some very, very big questions, I think, to be answered it, it, uh, along those lines. And I think that that is really more where where the questions questions need to be uh, asked and, and answered. And I think that it, it is fair in that instance for fans to turn around and say, come on, you know, all right, we accepted it was perhaps a bit awkward when... It was just going through and, and stuff like that. But now's now surely a good time to sit down and, and and start having these conversations. Or again, if they're really don't worried about the fact the fixture list is packed, then again, early New Year. But you can't let it drag on too long because people do uh, – it is a business. So do people have a right to know or don't they? I think that's what this all boils down to. Do – do people have a right to know? Is this the community club? Is this a uh, club that's still kind of owned in spirit, at least by the fans and, and the area and things like that? Or is this just another business? And actually the fans are, are actually, they're just customers. And you wouldn't just phone up and demand, um, be able to collectively demand that you had a one-on-one -on -one with the CEO of Apple. Um, or the, you know, so, so is it exactly the same with the football club? I, I mean, I don't know. I'd like to think it's... it's uh, it's different to that but I, I do think that there needs to be some more uh, laid out in terms of, of the intentions for the club going forward because I, I don't think what we know so far is even remotely satisfactory to be to be content and especially when you uh, obviously Chinese we know so, so little about uh, what goes on in China uh, and, and about Mr. Gao and, and things like that and we've all heard and seen the stories about his past, we've all heard and seen the stories about whether the Premier League felt he was going to be passed and, and for a suitable person to own a football club. So there are a lot of questions. You know, he's been given really the benefit of the doubt, as has Ralph, as has Katarina over all of this. Um, but that can't last forever. At some point, they're going to have to front up uh, all of them, I think, even if they don't like it, even if they don't want to. I feel like it's their moral obligation at some point to probably do it. Um, uh, yeah, and I think that is something that probably needs to happen relatively soon. If not now, because they don't want to overshadow the team, I get that, then in a quieter period at the beginning of next year might seem appropriate, I think. But it needs to happen, I feel. Just, just I'm not talking right now, but just for fans, I know you've often mentioned, and I, I think the whole reason Adam responded earlier was that someone was giving him pelters or whatever. I know you've often mentioned before that during tough times, media local certainly you guys get hit by lots of questions why aren't you asking this why don't you do this why don't you do that just just for fans uh, i guess that don't understand the media world then adam just in a in a short answer and do, do you kind of have to wait to be invited by the club or is it the sort of thing that the daily echo can keep pushing the media team or pu pushing les reeds pa or whatever and say look we're, we're keen to come and meet and have a chat i mean how, how does it kind of work in a nutshell uh, well, I mean, it can work anyway. You can obviously ask for something and, and you can be told yes or no, or they can come to you and say, you know, Les, Les would like to do something. It's, there's no 
there's no right or wrong. I mean, there is, uh, without doubt, with for the locals, which is basically us and uh, the Echo and Radio Solon, um, basically the, the club know we will come and turn up and, it, and do an interview at every opportunity with pretty much anybody connected with Saints because we're great, you know, we're, we're, we want to get the copy, we want to ask the questions, we want to tell the stories, that's our job. So we would have as much as we could get. We would speak to, you know, we would happily turn up a, a, every couple of weeks, like I said, and speak to Les and Ralph. Realistically, that's not going to be the case. So, um, yeah, there, there needs to be uh, some negotiation they're obviously before you uh agree to do something you obviously need to work out the, the right timing uh that's down to the club to decide really when they want to do it we would uh we would try and turn up and facilitate it you know for a mutually agreeable time and location whenever we possibly could we i mean that's i think having read adam's tweet i think that's just the point that he's getting at is that we're happy to do it. It's obviously it's down to the club as to when they want to speak, and that's why I was just throwing out there the other side of the coin, mm. which I guess a lot of well, no, no, some people will consider, but some people won't. Which is that the club obviously is not as if I don't think they don't talk about this or they don't think about it, um, but they obviously have to get it right from their end as well, and they don't just want to be wheeling out people left, right, and centre. They don't want to do anything that they feel is going to undermine Maurizio's authority. Um, they don't want to do anything that might unsettle anybody if they can possibly help it. And so they've got a very difficult uh, uh, balance to strike because they, they obviously know that when they open the doors and they let journalists in, they are going to get some questions that they're probably not going to want to answer. Uh, they'll get a few that they might not mind answering and they're going to get some that they're not going to like particularly. Um, and especially... The more they, the less often you get in there, the more you've got to ask, uh, and the more uh, pointed you sometimes have to be to get the material that you want, and so that's an even more uncomfortable position. So, for them to be in, of course. So, yeah, I mean, to answer your question, it's it's kind of a, a bit of both, really, I suppose. Yeah, it's good good to know, and I think for for fans, I think we're conscious that we don't want to just hear from the club when things are going well. Arguably, you want to hear from them. At the right time, certainly I agree with you on that when things are, are maybe a little bit more negative because you need to know that there's some strategy, you need to know that you're paying your money for something that's going to sort of uh, has got a plan and an idea and that sort of thing. So, look, re really appreciate that. I think that's uh, very honest answers, Adam, and uh, I think people listening will appreciate that as well. So, uh, mu much appreciated. Um, to finish up the podcast, we're going to look ahead to the Everton game that's uh, coming up next weekend. Everton then, Adam. I thought the Burnley game was a must-win. We didn't win that. Is this a must-win? Oh, you're trying to get me to do it again. You know I, I know, don't yeah. ever call them must-wins. I never yeah, but, do. But, but this I... is a must-win. <laughs> <laughs> but, but obviously this is. Because um, if they don't win this, obviously the whole world is going to explode. Uh, as you know, I've, I've, I prefer a, a vital game or something <laughs> like that, a crunch match, whatever you want to call it. This is important. This is important like a couple of others have been important. Uh, it, arguably, this is more important now just because of where it falls in, uh, in, in the timing of things, having had this rather uh, sad defeat to Liverpool. Um, they really need to get a win. I, I don't really think any other result is, is going to be acceptable. A draw and a, or, or, blimey, worst-case scenario, a defeat. Uh, leaves them in a real pickle, doesn't it? Because then you've got to go a few days later up to Man City. And as we know, um, this season there aren't a lot of people getting um, getting much out of Man City, funnily enough. And, uh, yeah, they're completely the opposite, aren't they? They can't stop scoring. I don't even goals. want to think about Man City, Adam, to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, they, they, they just need a win. And as I said earlier, if I'm searching for positives out of yesterday, and as you know, I'd like to try... I think I'm honest and I, I'm critical, but I also think that you've got to. There's no point in just being too down all the time, or you you just be feeling rubbish. So if you're trying to find a positive out of it, I do think that this we'll find out a lot. I think about the character of this team well and truly this Saturday, because as I said, that they they knew what had happened at Liverpool. They knew collectively what what they had gone through there, and. 
they now need to respond. If they respond in a very positive way, and then they go out and they play really well against Everton, they get a win, that will tell you something about them. And actually, yeah, maybe that was just the the eye-opener they needed um, to, to really kind of make sure that they, they get going again. If they come out and they don't, then I think it's legitimate to start to ask them whether this is really the time to, if not press the panic button, to start at least uh, making sure we know where it is. Because um, really, the, the the thing is, in this run of games they've got, they actually have got some winnable matches. Everton at home, uh, Bournemouth away, Leicester home, Huddersfield home. There's a potential there, a potential. I'm not saying they're going to get it. There's a potential 12 points there that they could take. You know, if they could get, say, 10, that would be fantastic. And if they could do that, then actually, even if these other games against these big teams, they didn't get anything from them, they would probably still find themselves out of this run uh, in mid-table and in January when they can then go and, you know, call for the cavalry, basically, and get some reinforcements. And, And actually then, even though there will have been quite a few defeats in that period of time, actually you'll be able to go, okay, we can look ahead with a bit more optimism to the second half of the season and maybe Pellegrino building something more for the future then. If in that period of time in those games, which obviously starts with Everton, um, they they aren't getting those points on the board, then it it begins to feel a little bit, probably will feel increasingly like it's starting to slip away and, and start to starting to spiral downhill almost into freefall. And um, none of those games are going to be easy now because the pressure on those games is going to be so vast now because under the assumption that they're not going to win many of these really hard away games, the pressures on, on the games that they can get points is going to be really huge. So that's an even bigger test of character. One, one thing I'd never say about you, Adam, is you're certainly not optimistic. So I admire that in you very much. So uh, ab- absolutely. Um, I, do, I try. Yeah. I try. We have to, well, funnily enough, I was talking to Dave on the way back in the car and we were sort of talking about uh, covering you know, football and, and sort of what your responsibilities are. And I, I think I think the one thing is you, we both agreed, is that you've you've always got to try and be constructive. <laughs> and that doesn't mean not, that doesn't mean being optimistic that doesn't mean being pessimistic um it just means trying to um say it as you see it and to actually uh, be logical about it and not irrational and to try and justify what you're saying and people uh will agree with you and people will disagree with you and that's completely fine uh I, you know and that goes from fans readers listeners um people in the club uh, whatever, but actually, as long as you're sensible about it, as long as you're actually presenting an opinion and your rationale, I think at least people can respect it, even if they don't agree with it. Absolutely, I love uh, I love Dave, and I always have done. I, I think his commentary has always been optimistic. There's a there's a long running joke in our family. I think in the days when he used to commentate with uh, Grant Coleman and things like that at Solent, and uh, they'd be five 0 down away at Man United or something, seventy one minutes on the clock, and he'd be like, "If they can just get one back, Grant, they've got a chance," you know, and all that sort of thing. You just knew that he was blessed him. He was trying his best. So uh, I can I can think of. Uh, a lot worse summarisers that uh, um, Saints fans could listen to than Dave Merrington. Absolutely, he's a, he's a, a, a legend, no doubt about it. So, um, look, I mean, just just finally before we do our uh, ill-fated predictions, Adam, Everton are obviously struggling in terms of where they are in the league. They spent a heck of a lot of money in the, the summer on a lot of players, but they definitely got ability there. I mean, they showed a bit of fight um, the last few weeks under Runsworth. They're not going to be easy by any stretch of the imagination. So how, how do we go about beating them? Well, I guess the first thing is... To probably to look at whoever the manager is. I mean, who knows who the manager's going to be? I mean, it could be David Unsworth. Um, it could be Marco Silva. Uh, it could be somebody else. Who knows? And that's probably going to have a fairly significant bearing on the game, you would imagine. Uh, so I think that that will, be, that will be the first thing. And then in terms of actually Everton, we know that they've obviously got, they've spent some money, they have got some good players, but they've got a fairly big, gaping hole in the striking department and the defence is perhaps centrally is a little bit uh, questionable as well so there are plenty of weaknesses in that team I think Everton will be probably uh, like they were at Palace I think a a draw actually in the way they are now wouldn't be a bad result for them at Saints but a draw for Saints would be a bad result for for them so uh, I don't don't think it will be easy I can't really see that Everton are going to massively 
park the bus and be really effective at doing that. I don't, I think they're just a little, going to be a bit too open for that. So I think that actually is, is potentially the sort of opposition that could, could suit Saints. Um, but obviously, uh, the, the problem is that you, you know, they've got to really, I feel, come out of the traps flying in this one. I think they've really got to get the crowd behind them early on because there's just that feeling that the, I think the atmosphere at St Mary's is turning. And when you're like that, you don't want, uh, you don't want to be really uh, a frustrating nil-nil or be falling behind and then have people starting to get ratty, get on the players' backs because that makes it so much harder. So I think they really need to try and go out really keyed up for uh, uh, just to absolutely fly at Everton and just, just give it everything they've got. And I think if uh, if they do that, then they probably will win. It, it's certainly going to be a, a pivotal game, I think, in terms of that, the reaction after being totally outplayed by Liverpool, as you say. So um, talking about Liverpool, obviously you predicted them to lose 2-1. I predicted them to lose 2-0. It was 3-0, so that's another uh, feather another feather in my cap there, Adam. Well, so, I, uh, I got three goals, though. I yeah, but number of goals. Well, yeah, but you, you you always look for these loopholes. There's no, there's no, you know, there's there's there's, there's you, you know, it was three 0 I was two 0 I was closer, and I am oh. so cu- currently the league standing is uh, Adam Leach in third place, Mark Lawrence in second, with, Liver- <laughs> with Liverpool still unbeaten, and uh, I'm top at the moment, I think. So that's good. So uh, um, look, I'm going to give you a chance to redeem yourself then. So what what do you reckon for a prediction for the Everton game? I certainly hope that things are going to turn around. Um, and, and based on that, rather than than any anything else, I am going to uh, going to think that this, I don't think it will be easy. But I I, I kind of feel that if they're going to win a game, this is quite a good team for them to play at this point in time. So I will go for a two-one Southampton victory. Two-one for Southampton. You can guess where I'm going with mine, right? Well, well, I imagine it will be what one-nil Everton. Close, yeah, close. I'm going two 0 Everton actually. So. <laughs> I just uh, look. I mean, I, I don't like predicting against Saints. Obviously, I don't do it for the sake of it. I just the way I look at us at the moment. I just don't see any real fight. I just worry about the attitude. I sort of think about our lack of ability to score goals. I think Everton. You know, you, you look at their key players. Pickford is a is a decent keeper on his day. Bearing in mind uh, our sort of powder puff strike force, you, you kind of worry keepers like the Burnley keeper the other day. Every every keeper seems to rock up at St Mary's. I remember the Man United. What was he third choice last season? He he rocked up and played the game of his life and all that sort of thing. So I just um, I just don't see us turning the corner anytime soon and that's that's the worry as a fan and as I say I'd love to predict that we, we're going to turn them over and get the win like we did last season but I just I have to be realistic and looking at the way we've played the last few weeks the, the, the first goal is so important as you said there if we can get that get the crowd behind us but it needs to come and the longer it goes on without us either taking the lead or, or nil-nil whatever the, the fans are going to get frustrated so yeah as much as it pains me to say Adam I'm going 2-0 Everton unfortunately I think the pressure's going to ramp up even more after that oh blimey O'Reilly there we go there we go so um, you're, you're away for the Everton game is that right you're, you're not going to get a chance to, to be there so someone else is going to have to celebrate your 2-1 win for you right yeah absolutely no I'm, I'm not around um, I, I don't miss many games in a, in a season but I do uh, unbelievably have a life outside of Southampton Football Club so every so often I have to slip off and uh, do something else for a weekend and that's the case next weekend so uh, yeah so I'll be I'll be AWOL next weekend um but yeah obviously following from afar and then and then back into the fray again so i'm hoping hoping next time we talk which will obviously be the next podcast i'll do will obviously be after the bournemouth game so mm. there'll be another three matches by then maybe <laughs> things will be looking up yeah, I try dread to think where we'll be with them, but there we go. So, we'll 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 have a have a good break, and thanks again for joining us. And fingers crossed, as I say, that your prediction is the right one. I hope you've enjoyed Total Saints Podcast 14. It's been good to speak to Adam about a range of things. As I mentioned uh, last time when we were with Glenn, there seems to be more to talk about when Saints are struggling. Obviously, we want them to turn the corner, but certainly appreciate Adam's honesty, and hopefully it's been a good listen. As I mentioned earlier, wherever you are in the world, we really appreciate you listening. We've had uh, nearly 6,500 listeners through SoundCloud since we started uh, the podcast back in August, so we know that uh, you're listening to it, and we really do appreciate that. And any further feedback or comments or any ideas are always welcome. But other Otherwise, thank you for listening, and as I always say, keep marching in. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. 
Maximize your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See McDonald's.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.